0: now on this invest talk podcast justin klein listens to your questions go
1: to richard in valencia looking at disney
2: hi justin thanks again for all the great shows disney as a long-term hold it's always i think it's always been throughout history you know a, a great thing to hold would you say this is a good opportunity to buy
1: disney
0: and provides unbiased answers
1: not yet it's getting closer and you see with what's happening with Netflix that a lot of the valuation that was built into Disney uh, was on Disney Plus.
0: Invest Talk. Over forty million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888 99 Chart.
3: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good
1: afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, April 21st, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And I'm excited to have this hour with you answering your finance and investment questions and giving you the right perspective, the right data and the right tools to help you make good money decisions. And in this increasingly volatile economic and geopolitical environment, you have to keep your head clear. You have to keep your head cool uh, and not get emotional, not allow politics, not allow fear-mongering distract you from the facts and the facts that, that matter and that matter to you. Ultimately, you want to reach your financial goals. And in order to do that, You need to use logic, use reason. And most people have trouble with that. That's natural. We are emotional beings. And fear and greed oftentimes dominate our decision-making process. But history shows that when you allow that to happen, well, you tend to make bad decisions. So that's my goal is to once again give you the tools and not allow you to fall prey to those innate emotions of uh, th- those innate reactions that are driven by emotions. And so, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success, which means that no matter what I'm speaking about, the market as a whole, a particular sector, particular stock, I'm here to give you the facts without bias and using my 20 plus years of investment experience to give you some perspective as well. So I encourage you to reach out with your finance and investment questions, and you can do that right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time, or you can leave a question on our Invest Talk voicemail. Either way the number never changes. It's eight ninety-nine chart. So let's get to our first listener question now.
2: Hello Justin and Steve. First of all, love the podcast. My name is Andy from Long Island and i was wondering if you had any insight as to why the government puts such a low contribution limit on simple iras at 17000 a year or 135 for someone under 50 years old as opposed to a 401k 403b and so on i'll be listening
1: thank you uh i'm not sure why simple iras are, are a bit unique I mean, they're all unique in their own ways, whether you're talking about a 401k, uh, a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, a traditional IRA. The only thing that's kind of more uniform are traditional versus Roth, the, the limits are, are are the same, it's just a matter of income uh, limitations, and whether you want to be pre tax or post tax. So why that is, I, I really don't know, I, you probably have to go back into the the annals of history and see when they were created and and what was the thinking there. Uh, well, what's interesting to me is how they really come up with the the limits uh, and how they they increase them. They, they like to keep it round numbers and that makes sense, kind of make it easier to to remember. Uh, but yeah, why that is, I I I couldn't tell you. But thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Over 8% of Americans' total household spending goes to healthcare costs. But a study of almost 24,000 employees at a major Fortune 100 company found that 61% of them chose the wrong plan for their needs. So we're going to look at that data and maybe help guide you to make better decisions on that front as well. Because it's not just about investing correctly. It's also about spending wisely. And the majority of people are getting their health insurance through their their company. And while I think that's a terrible way for us as a country to do that. um, That's that's where we are. And uh, usually that that cost is borne a bit, some degree by the employee. Uh, And so this costs the money. So we're going to look at that. And also, the 6040 portfolio, you're standing here kind of 60% equities, 40% stocks. In this environment with interest rates low and rising, and valuations on equities, you know, above average. What does that mean for your traditional 6040 portfolio? Also, the 4% rule. So is that 4% rule on retirement spending, however much you have, that's how much you can Withdraw from your account safely each year? Well, once again, is that something that needs to be adjusted that 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 rule of thumb? And then lastly, we have time some uh, changes within homeowners associations and the ability for the Black Rocks of the world to go in there and buy homes and, and rent them out. So I think those uh, rental rules are, are an interesting trend uh, that's something to watch. And that will change the dynamic of the real estate market if it kind of catches on. So we're going to look at that as well. But let's take a look at the market today. The definitely had a decidedly weak day overall. The S&P was down 65 points, down about percent and a half or so. Uh, but really the weakness was in large cap growth continued. Uh, you had a follow through from yesterday's down move in in Netflix uh, and more weakness today. Uh, there was the ten year that was up seven basis points, two point nine one seven percent at the close today, which is see did that close Tuesday closed at yeah so new high that was the, Tuesday was two point nine one three today was two point nine one seven on the ten year, so a new high here on uh, rates and. I not like that. Um, it was interesting. A bit different today was the commodities market kind of joined the the, the selling party. And you had XLE that was down over 3% today, the uh, the energy ETF. And now, not a shock here. Uh, the sentiment was definitely extreme over the past couple of weeks. Extreme bullishness. And kind of set for cooling. Uh, especially if the economy is going to cool. Remember, you do have some near-term demand headwinds. You have China with the Shanghai lockdowns, that's crimping some demand there. Uh, And you also, on the supply side, you have the SPR release, and and so that's uh, certainly going to give, you know, some some relief on the supply side, although that's unlikely to uh, be maintained long-term. So the commodity space overall got a bit of a a pullback and and that should be expected. What's interesting is the actual commodity prices didn't really fall very much. And a lot of the equities reacted. So you can see that was kind of more throwing the baby out with the bathwater, uh, maybe uh, across the market. Liquidity is certainly getting scarcer. Uh, The dollar continues to rise. Up another uh, a bit today, and you know that's an environment where at some point everything kind of sells, and that's kind of what you saw today. This is a broad-based sell-off, one of the most broad-based sell-offs we've seen really all year, because most of the selling has been in the growth side of the market. This was a bit more broad-based, even though it was concentrated uh, more heavily still on growth, but definitely some interesting sell-offs on the commodity uh, side as well which tells me maybe a near-term pullback. Now we have good news for Talk listeners that enjoy hearing unbiased answers to caller questions at a faster pace. And we just posted our all new rapid fire hour for April with 30 caller questions in a row, back to back to back. It's available now as a free podcast download. And please tell your friends about the Talk rapid fire hour podcast. And now the Talk phone lines are open for you to give me a call. At eight at
0: No two investors have an identical portfolio. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 99 Chart. Hi,
2: Steve or Justin. I wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol AIG, American International Group. Um, it's been doing really well over the last year. And I know they are spinning off their life and retirement business and basically setting up a new company under Corebridge Financial. And uh, I think it should be a good catalyst for this stock. Wanted to see your opinion. Look forward to hearing for it on the show. Thank you so much for all you do. Bye
1: bye. looking at AIG, this was part of a big part of the financial crisis and a uh, huge bailout there. And they've recovered uh, throughout the years. And they're expected to reach a post financial crisis high in earnings of $5.12. This year, but that's flat from last year. So growth certainly slowing down, but expected to make uh, an increase next year of 21% to six dollars and 21 cents. Yields two percent. Uh, now, what I will say is, I like that this is uh, th- this is an insurance space. I like insurers as interest rates go up, their premiums are able to uh, invest at higher rates, and they just tend to make more profits in that environment. You saw 2019; they made four dollars and fifty-nine cents. 2020, they went down all the way to two dollars and fifty-two cents. Certainly had more uh, life insurance payouts because of COVID, so that's understandable. But certainly uh, in recovery mode here. Now today was decidedly weak, so I'm not uh, excited about the technicals. Uh, big big sell-off day, decent volume, and the MACD is certainly weakening as well. So, uh, and then from a valuation perspective. I would say it's slightly overvalued. Our value is closer to $55 a share. Now it's at 63 and change at the close today. So uh, a bit overvalued, 10% or so. And so I would be patient on it. Uh, I do think that uh, I like the insurers, um, but I don't see this as a bargain yet. And the, the technicals are starting to weaken. So I'm passing on AIG for now. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Over eight percent of American total household spending goes to health care costs, and you know this is something that unfortunately a lot of people waste money on. And this is a study of twenty four thousand employees at a major Fortune one hundred company, and sixty one percent of them chose the wrong plan for their needs, and. That cost them an average of $372 per year uh, uh, by choosing the, the plan that was more expensive. And that's usually how they, they do it. Um, now, the majority of employees that choose these plans uh, that were more expensive, regardless of how much care they actually needed. And this cost them about 2% of their salary overall. And in 2018, over 8% of Americans spend uh, spending went towards healthcare costs. That's a 37% increase from 2004, up from 5.9% back then. Now, 46% of Americans say that it's challenging to pay for out of pocket healthcare costs that are not covered by insurance. So that's probably why they tend to overinsure. Uh, but the main issue is that. Most people don't understand the terminology that they're reading. Premiums, that's what you're paying out to have the health care, right? Copays are what you pay when you go to the office or you know, have some sort of medical uh, services done. And then deductibles. You know, what do deductibles mean? And you have to reach a certain amount uh, to to reach your deductible. So all of these things make it confusing. And so they tend to overpay. Uh, and that's um, that's that's the issue. Um, so really, aligning your, your your needs with those expenses and doing the doing the legwork, doing the research, is is, is not that complex. Asking your HR department for help—that certainly w- is one way to go. Uh, and you know, in the in the, in the world of inf- the information superhighway, you should be able to find uh, the, the right plan that that fits you. Unfortunately, you're usually stuck, kind of like a 401k. Uh, so um, that's situation you can't really get around. Now we're heading to a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
0: No two portfolios are alike and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
1: Go to Richard in Valencia looking at Disney.
2: Hi Justin. Thanks again for all the great shows. Mm-hmm. Um Disney as a long term hold, it's always I think it's always been throughout history, you know, a, a great thing to hold. But if you you know, you just want to hold it for, you know, long term uh portfolio, uh it's you know, it's dropped quite a bit, it's down to God, the low one one twenties today. Uh would you say this is a Good opportunity to buy Disney.
3: Not yet.
1: Uh, it's getting closer. Uh, I think one ten mm-hmm. is that first kind of stop where you know it's at least reasonable uh, from a mm-hmm. valuation perspective. Uh, you know, you have earnings expected next year of uh, five dollars and sixty nine cents, four dollars and forty four cents this year. But both of those estimates are coming down, and you see with what's happening with Netflix that a lot of the valuation that was built into Disney uh, was on Disney Plus. And there was that big surge of people that uh, got it uh, in the, uh, you know, during COVID and there's cord cut, not just cord cutting now it's a, uh, it's sub- subscription cutting, especially with inflation going up and mm-hmm. consumer wallets being a lot tighter. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know I have trouble getting to a, a, a fair valuation much above 110 on Disney um, at these prices. and the and the momentum continues to go down. So long term is it a good business? Sure, but it needs to have some sort of you need to have some sort of semblance of what their longer term earning earnings trajectory trajectory will be. And what I'm seeing is that the hopes and dreams of the market uh, continue to be dashed. You know, 2020 was a down year, two dollars and two cents in earnings versus five dollars seventy-six in 2019. Remember, that 2019 it was down from seven dollars and eight cents the previous uh, year, and a lot of the earnings come from ESPN, uh, and that's hurting. Uh, you have theme parks coming back, but they just also had Florida cut their uh, cut their tax, um the, the tax haven. Status. Mm-hmm. Basically, Disney had a very tax advantageous um, position there because of their history with, uh, in, in Orlando and with the state of Florida. Uh, but that's going away as well. And that's a, that's going to be a, a, a big, uh, driver. So where does, where does all, what does all this mean for Disney's earnings? There's, it's too murky. Uh, and it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if this was mm-hmm. bargain basement price, trading low teens multiple, I would say, yeah but it's still trading even if you even if next year's earnings come to fruition which once again those estimates are coming down it's still trading at over 25 times earnings growth is slowing a lot of headwinds so yeah it's not cheap enough for me it needs to go lower 110 once again first stop and then i think it go back to pre covid lows 80 at 80 That's where I'd love it, but not yet. Okay, I see.
2: Okay. Well, thanks again. Yeah, no dividend either anymore, I guess.
1: No dividend, yeah. And all those things, they just just have too much uncertainty with a lot of their businesses, with their tax situation, uh, with growth of Disney Plus. All of that just uh, tells me I need this at a cheap price, not at a market multiple or slightly above market multiple price. And we're not even there yet, so I'm passing on Disney for now. Now let's take a look at an iTunes review question. Luke NYC77 says, "I'm interested in adding CVS to my portfolio. Wondering what price would you enter?" Well, we've owned CVS for a while now. We bought it back uh, 2020, I believe, in the 70s for clients for the most part. Uh, now we're at 105. And it's been kind of consolidating sideways, so I think it's kind of in a consolidation pattern uh, for that next leg higher. Uh, I, I like we like CVS; it's uh, transforming itself into more of uh, more of a place for healthcare services. Uh, they're putting in doctors' offices and, and clinics. Into a lot of their facilities, and I think that's good uh, long-term growth potential. They have 9,900 pharmacy and drug stores in 49 states, so well diversified, and only trading at about let's see, 12 times forward earnings. Not bad, 2.1% yield. Now it's still undervalued, but not as drastically um, as it was, you know, 2020. Our value is closer to 120, 125 in that range is that 105. So I think it's still undervalued, um, but moderately. Okay. Uh, So we still like it, um, but probably a pullback. If you get a pullback to the high 90s, I think that would be a great buy. Thanks for the review question. Now we're heading into a break here. And after the break, I'm going to touch a bit on the 4% rule. 4% rule is kind of the standard rule for, uh, many years. It actually came out in 94 and we're going to talk about what the originator of the 4% rule is saying about this for newer retirees. Those that are maybe pre-retirees thinking about how much they need in retirement and, uh, in, in this, uh, in this environment where once again, rates are low, but rising, Multiples for equities are high. How to think about this, uh, especially with inflation averaging about 8.5%. Now, in the next Invest Talk, this story playing it too safe with finances could make it harder to reach your full potential. So, know where you want to go with your financial objectives and manage your risk tolerance. That's on the next Invest Talk. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 99 Chart.
2: visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
0: Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART.
1: 8899 chart, 889924278. 8, 9, 9, 2, 2, 8. Let's talk a bit about the 4% rule. And this was pioneered by financial planner Bill Bengen, who came up with this in 1994. And what the 4% rule is, is that you take out 4% the first year of retirement, then you adjust that amount annually to keep pace with inflation. And such an approach would have meant retirees would not run out of money over any 30-year period since 1926, even when conditions were really, really bad. And what he's saying today, though, is that there's no precedent for today's conditions. And he recommends actually a safe withdrawal rate of 3.3% if they want to have a high degree of certainty that their money will last. No, we would say sixty forty uh, portfolio. Well, his original research was actually based on fifty five percent U.S. large cap and forty five percent intermediate term treasury bonds. So, think of a ten year treasury. Now, we did that back in ninety four. Rate, tre- you know, treasury rates, ten year treasury rates were the high single digits, not one two percent like they are today. I guess we're approaching three. But he did revise it in 2006 and he started to include international stocks, mid cap stocks, small cap, uh, as well as corporate bonds. And he was able to raise the returns and that supported a safe withdrawal rate of 4.7%. So basically saying, if you start to diversify out, take a bit more risk over time, you're, you're going to be fine, right? Uh, And uh, you'll be able to take out more money. Now, the best time to retire is when stocks are cheap, interest rate or inflation is low. And in that environment, you could take out as much as 13% per year without running out of money. And based on his first study, the base case was actually 7%. So 4% was kind of a conservative number. And we always have to look at probabilities. A lot of people like to look at; they think it's black and white. You can or you can't. Well, when it comes to numbers and investing, it's really putting, understanding the odds, putting the odds in your favor, and making sure that worst case scenario, you you don't run out of money. In this in this type of uh, study. Now, when inflation is high withdrawals made under that 4% rule tend to grow by a lot. And that means portfolio returns have to be higher. Now, stocks are currently trading at about 36 times corporate earnings over the past decade, double the historical average. So that's one issue is that we're starting from expect, inspect expensive equity market. And it usually takes a bear market to get back to some reasonable valuation. And when you retire and you hit a bear market in short order, well, that can be uh, painful and makes that 4% rule even more difficult. So that's why Isaac's saying 3.3% is probably safer for now. What I would say is you can probably adjust it over time, but you don't want to adjust it now, right? You don't want to, take out more in times like this. You want to make sure that you have enough. And if you're in a more advantageous investment environment, longer term, then you can be a bit more aggressive right now. Probably not. And the biggest threat to any retirement portfolio, frankly, is inflation. A lot of people don't talk about that. People think of risk and they think of downside. Well, guess what you could have your portfolio go completely flat, have no downside over a decade, but if inflation suddenly is 10% a year in a decade, your purchasing power is going to be dramatically lower. So it's not about nominal returns. It's about the real return you're getting on your portfolio. The real return after inflation. And that's why, you know, a year or two of inflation, not that big a deal. Because even if your real return is negative for a couple of years, that's not going to, not going to derail your, the numbers longer term in a big way. It's having persistently high inflation year after year after year. And if you look back on the research, the worst time to actually retire was actually 1968. It wasn't 1968. It was the years following it, the 70s, when there was many, many years of inflation. And there was a big bear market from 69 to 67. From the end of 65 to the end of 81, the annualized return on the S&P was virtually flat. And this was the era of the nifty 50 the late, in the late 60s. Just buy these 50 stocks and you're going to be fine. Very similar to, in my mind, the indexing craze that we have today. Where people are buying without any sense of valuation. And they just blindly put money into this one strategy. And that's what's happening now with everyone piling into index funds and the S&P. So I thought this was a very interesting study to show how to adjust your thinking about expected future returns, especially for those retirees when it's more vital. Now, Steve and I have said many times that we appreciate our diverse InvestTalk audience. And in fact, we receive caller questions from across America and around the world. So let's take a question now, this time from England. Hi, Steve and
2: Justin. Calling from England, wondered what your thoughts were on Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. It's R for Romeo, E for England, G for Golf, N for November, R-E-G-N. Got a five-year time horizon and wondered uh, what a decent entry price would be. Thanks a lot. Bye.
1: All right, looking at Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. If I remember correctly, they made some sort of uh, COVID therapeutic And that helped their business last year. Earned a record high $74.66. That was up from $31 and change in 2020. But this year, it's supposed to fall back dramatically. Down 41% to $44.14. And then $46 and change next year. So back to very slow growth. And I want to know why that is. I have to really look deeper at the business. But you go back to pre-COVID, they two dollars and to two billion in free cash flow. Uh, now it's a $76 billion market cap. Uh, our value is much lower, about five hundred dollars per share. Now it's at seven hundred, So I think it's overvalued in pretty pretty uh, significantly. Now it's a good business. Return on equity over the last decade has averaged about 25, 30 percent or so. That's very good with pretty minimal leverage. So certainly they have good products, good business, um, but I just don't like the valuation. I think it's much, much uh, too expensive, and I don't like that their growth is slowing dramatically. And then it looks like they're going to go back to very modest growth. So uh, if you look at things like uh, price to sales ratios is about five, and historically um, that's actually that's that's on the relatively low side. But once again. All of this is supposed to snap back this year and return to the mean. And I don't like that. I don't like businesses that uh, just got this boost from COVID and then suddenly you're going to slow even more. So I'm passing on Regeneron until it gets probably closer to that $500 level. Now that's the best talk. Let's make it two in a row. This question came in earlier from Texas. Uh, Stephen, Justin. uh, Jeff Cohen in from Dallas. Wanted to see
2: if you could take a look at PayPal, PYPL. I mean, it's just absolutely beaten down right now. Um, P.E. is at its lowest end of the range for the last several years. Feels like this should be a good time to pick it up, but not sure if you
1: guys think if uh, it could go any lower. Thanks. Well, technically, it's putrid. Relative strength is four, meaning 96% of stocks are stronger than it in the market. And its growth is slowing dramatically. A year ago, earnings were up 85% last quarter, they were up 3%. So slowing growth means smaller multiples. Now, it's certainly a good business, and certainly on my watch list. But the technicals are nowhere close to getting to a level that or to to a a look that makes sense. It just continues to power lower. Now, maybe that has a lot to do with the algos and just trading, selling all of these high growth, high multiple tech stocks. Um, But you know I would say the valuation is getting in the ballpark Uh, you know sub 100 I would say is a decent value it's at 89 today so it's sufficiently cheap enough now would I say it's cheap I wouldn't say it's cheap it's cheap enough enterprise value is at 19 and historically that's on the low end of what it's ever traded at. So yeah, I I mean, it's definitely on my watch list, but I need some technicals, I need some shift in the economic backdrop. And that's really the issue here is that we're in a slowing growth environment, And companies like this tend to not do very well in that environment. So I'm passing on PayPal for now on the watch list. Um, Another issue I have is, what is the next level technically? 75, it's probably the next level. And it looks like it's headed there. So from a long-term perspective, is it good? You know, I think this is probably a reasonable price. But short-term, medium-term, I see no reason that this is, no indication that this is a great uh, time to buy. Uh, At least, like I said, short-term. What I'm looking for is a big volume spike. I want capitulation. I want double, triple, quadruple the 50-day average volume in a single day. And then I would say, okay, everybody's out. All the weekends got shaken out. They're despondent. They've given up on the name. That's when I want to buy it. And we're not there yet. The last two days have been above average, but definitely nothing dramatic. So on the watch list, but looking for that capitulation day. Now, let's make it three in a row. Corey from Monterey is live with us asking about AVGO, which is Broadcom.
2: Hey, Justin, how are you?
1: Doing pretty well. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it?
3: So
2: I own it. It's uh, not a huge position, maybe 3 4%. And I really like it. I bought it for the dividends uh, as well as the growth of the company. Um I like the quality of the of the company. I guess my question is at what level do you think you would be looking to add more to your position for the dividend?
1: Well, our value on Broadcom is a little bit lower than this, about 550. Now it's at 592. So modestly overvalued in our books. Where I would pick it up? Let me take a look technicals are definitely not that hot looking fairly weak, uh, you know, what it'd be it would be the 100 day moving average 100 week moving average, excuse me, about 470. That's gonna be pretty good support there. Uh, and that's also where it kind of consolidated back in early 2021. So I like that. And it's also yeah, the 6-1, it's 382 retrace 475. Or so so right in there 470 475 480 you know that's where i would probably be adding to it i like the name I, I think this is smart uh it's one of the better chip makers out there But we are we are seeing some weakness in the chip uh names uh, across the board so that does worry me a, a bit and obviously if there it continues to be a sell uh on chips in general broadcom is in a lot of those chip semiconductor uh, etfs and they're going to get sold it's going to get sold as well so i'd be a bit patient on it and uh, but i like that this is in your portfolio you're looking to add to it because it is definitely a high quality chip name thanks for the call let's go to wesley in stockton looking at rf which is regions financial You owner looking to buy it
2: i'm looking to buy it. trying to add a uh, regional bank to the portfolio and um this is the next one
1: on my list. Okay. Why is it the next one on your list?
2: Uh, it's generally the location. Um, has uh, locations in Texas, Florida, but it's uh, based in Atlanta, Georgia.
1: Got it. Okay. Yeah, I like, uh, I like all those regions, uh, regional banks that have exposure to the gateway cities uh, where a lot of people are moving to. Like you said, Texas, I think that's a, a positive area. Southeast uh, Atlanta, like you said, Florida, those areas are, are, are big hotspots for people moving in. And uh, that means good economic growth and good for the businesses and uh, in those areas. And uh, a lot of them are probably customers of reasons financial. So uh, I like what you're looking at. Uh, it's about fairly valued. Our value is right, right around uh, 21, which is that today. Um, it's technically. It's it's okay. It's it's not terrible. I'd say it's kind of neutral. It's Certainly outperforming the KBE, the Regional Bank Index. So I like that. That it's uh, it's been a better performer than its peers uh, lately. So all those things make me say, you know, I like it. Don't love it because it's not super cheap. Uh, but it's certainly a, a good company, good business, and in the right regions. The regions Financial. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 99Chart.
0: You are listening to Invest Talk every Friday on the program and the podcast. Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888
2: 99 Chart. Hey guys, it's Austin from Atlanta. I just had a simple question about. How best to analyze an ETF to decide whether or not to buy? I get some of the ratios you want to look at for individual companies, but some of them don't directly apply. So I'm wondering what translates and what doesn't into analyzing an ETF. Would love to hear you guys answer. Um, Look forward to it.
1: Well, when you're looking at an ETF, you just need to understand the portfolio. And what type of companies they're invested in Morningstar is a good place for this, you could usually go directly to the site as to the you know, their website and get um, the latest perspectives and report. Uh, but really understanding the comp- type of companies invest- invested in what's a strategy. That's first off, you know, is it value investing? Is it just indexing? Is it growth? As you know, what's the the reason for this being in its existence? What type what p- part of the market is it trying to target? that's number one however most people focus on number two which is the expense ratio they look at you know what's the cheapest without understanding the the strategy or the risks that are involved now you could certainly you could certainly uh, look at ratios uh, P ratio, price sales ratio, et cetera, to see how cheap kind of the, the portfolio is overall. And that's certainly going to help longer term. However, how do you know that that current portfolio is going to stick longer term? Remember, the index provider or the manager of the ETF could change that mix at any given time. There's no guarantee that that mix is going to stay there longer term. That's why I wouldn't really care too much about that. Then it's about looking at the underlying economic conditions and whether this type of strategy is going to work well in this environment. You know, I've talked before about how in a, an environment where inflation and rates are going up, growth stocks don't do very well. Multiples tend to contract. An environment where the economy is slowing. Well, consumer stocks tend to not do so well. Industrials tend to not do so well. Well, What does do well, well, utilities, REITs, consumer staples, things like that. So in the short to medium term, that's going to be the most important thing is, are you investing in uh, a sector or a style factor that's going to win out? It's going to work in this environment. Now we have time for one more question. And Steve and I thank you for making your voices a part of the Invest Talk podcast. So let's play this question from a listener in Virginia.
2: Hi, Steve. You have a great show. My question is on the stock UHT, Universal Health Realty Income. I see where one agent rates it as a strong buy and another agent rates it as the worst stock possible, highly unattractive. So I was just wondering what your thought would be. And again, this is Steve from Virginia. Thank you.
1: All right. This is Universal Health Realty U H T. This is a REIT that invests, invests in healthcare and human service related facilities. Seventy two properties in twenty states. It uh, yeah. It runs hospitals, acute care hospitals, rehabilitation hospitals, freestanding emergency departments, sub acute facilities, and medical office buildings and child care centers. Mainly located in Arizona, Nevada, and Texas. That's where most of its revenues come from. Interesting. The chart is decidedly poor. Um, I wouldn't go based on analysts and ratings. Analysts are typically very poor at these, uh, these things. Uh, but the technicals are not strong at all. Um, and if you do a ratio of like UHT to an IYR, which would be a REIT ETF, this continues to grind lower and lower, so I don't like its relative strength. Uh, their 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 cash flow has not really grown over the past five years, about the same as it's been. So rents are flat, their businesses flat, their revenues are up, but their overall profits uh, are going down uh, as a percentage. They have let's see, not a ton of debt, but. Yeah, I just don't see this as a great performer. Um, I don't love the dividends. But 4.9, that's decent. But remember, it's taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. So uh, I don't love it there. I just think there's better read options. And the market's telling you that. And this continues to underperform. So I'm passing on UHT. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This could be another Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And we do track our download numbers. And they are closing in on $41 Thanks to you, get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you do leave a review and a question with that review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking,
3: shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.